You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. So as I mentioned, today's message is all about joy and anxiety, uh, so two fun topics. But, but being joyful is one of those commands we see actually all throughout Scripture. We see it more times than we can count in the Psalms. Psalm 32, 11 says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. We, we see it in Isaiah. Isaiah 41, 13 tells the people of Israel that they shall rejoice in the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, you should glory. And then we see it numerous times in Jesus' own teachings where he's telling people to be joyful. And an example of that is Matthew 5, 12, uh, where he is preaching and he's saying, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. And so we know that this, this idea of being joyful is a command and that we're supposed to be a joyful people. But the question remains as to what joy actually is and then what does joy have to do with anxiety? And to quickly address the first question, joy in this case is not just this temporary emotion of happiness. It's not like I'm feeling happy today. Jo- joy is actually a conscious state of being. And, and Paul serves as a great example here. And in this context of this letter, the Philippians would have had a really good understanding of Paul as a joyful person. Because right whenever he's there, their first experience with Paul is whenever he's planting the church in Acts 16, he's shown up and he started preaching. And then as a result of his preaching, he has many, the text says it has, he has many blows inflicted upon him, is thrown in prison, and has his feet placed in stocks. And what does he do in this situation? He and Silas, their, their response to this in prison is to pray and sing hymns to God. So he's in prison and he's singing. But what is he so joyful about? Well, as an answer for that, we can look to some of Paul's other letters. Uh, One of them is in Ephesians uh, 2, and I'll read verses 4 to 7, where it says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And this truth is what Paul was singing about in prison. He wasn't crazy. He was singing about the gospel, and he has intentionally replaced the anxiety he's feeling with joy in that gospel. So he's made an intentional decision to choose joy. Now he's calling the Philippians into that same type of choice, that same type of joy. The type of joy that says, God, you are rich in mercy. And so that's the meat about what we're going to be talking about today, the beauty of the gospel, and how thinking on the gospel is one of the best kind of self-help tools you'll ever find for combating anxieties. But before we go deeper into just that, uh, you'll notice I kind of skip past verses 2 and 3, and these verses address conflict. And so Paul is saying, hey, before I tell you about this idea of being joyful, let's deal with this, this major issue first. Because right now it's going to be a barrier to you finding joy. So let's reread those first two verses. But I'm actually going to add on uh, verse 1 from chapter 4, which you led last, read last week. And verse 1 starts like this. It says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I long, love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. 
Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And so put yourself in the Philippian shoes here. Imagine you're sitting here listening to a sermon, which is how the, the letters are being read, right? You can imagine that. And then suddenly two of you are mentioned by name and t- said, hey, stop arguing with one another, right? It would make you a little bit uncomfortable. Um, and this was Paul intentionally stepping into a conflict he had heard about and calling for unity. And we can imagine kind of the scale of this conflict, right? This is a conflict that has been, like, told about and transferred via letters, like going back and forth on ships, right? So this is, a, this, is a, this is a big conflict, and he wants to talk about it because disunity in the church distracts from the gospel, and he wants them to be joyful in the gospel. And he's, he's addressing these two women by name, but he's also explicitly stating that their names are in the book of life. So he's letting the, other, the Christians there know that these people are still faithful Christians, and, and he's calling out kind of the elephant in the room that they would have been feeling. Um, he, and he does not shy away from dressing it head on. And there's a framework that he uses that we, can, that we can leverage for addressing conflict in our own lives. First, he reminds them that he loves them in verse 1. Second, he encourages them to find common ground in both what they believe, he says, agree in the Lord, and, and in what their mission is. He reminds them that they are laboring side by side. They both believe the same gospel, and they're actively working towards that gospel message flourishing. And third, he, he recommends someone who he trusts, the text says true companion, to help mediate. And for us in times, even whenever we're not in conflict, we can still seek to build up unity to stave off conflict. We can do so in remembering those things, what our common mission and common beliefs are, which here is to saturate the neighborhood of mantras with a parish on every block. Laboring side by side is a beautiful reflection of the gospel, loving each other because God first loved us. And it builds unity, and it builds friendship. So if we go back to the text now, now that Paul has addressed this tension everyone in the room is feeling, he moves into the rest of the letter. And verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And then we get to verse 5, which says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. And the word for anxious here uh, can also be translated as troubled with cares, which I, <clears throat> which I just personally love. Um, from now on, if I'm feeling anxious and you ask me how I'm doing, I'm just going to say, well, I am troubled with cares. Uh, because that, that is what it feels like, right? Like, I am troubled with cares. I, I'm troubled with cares for my, my cousins and my aunts who just lost their father and husband to cancer. Um, I'm troubled with cares about my career and the people who I manage. Like, am, am I a good boss? Do they like me? I'm troubled with cares for my, my wife and I as we continue down a long, long journey of infertility. And I'm troubled with cares for this church and many of you in this room who I know who are actively suffering. And when I read this passage, uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm a little frustrated, right? Like, okay, Paul, Thank you for telling me to, be an- to not be anxious and to be joyful instead. If only I had thought of that, right? Uh, and it reminds me of some, like, really insensitive husband moments I've had, right? Uh, there's nothing quite like telling someone, have you tried just not feeling this way and feeling this, like, that way instead, right? It's not a, it's not a helpful statement. Uh, but Paul isn't just telling us that, Instead, he's suggesting two things that we can do in the midst of anxiety. The first is to remember that the Lord is near, and the second is to pray. 
we see the first item, remembering, in the, in the dichotomy that Paul lays out. He says, the Lord is at hand, so don't be anxious. What Paul recognizes is that if you're in a Christian in the room today, when you recognize that the Lord is at hand, you remember what God has done for you in sending his son, and it is really hard to be anxious. Remember, in prison, Paul isn't just rejoicing in his own power and greatness, like, man, that sermon I gave must have been pretty great to have gotten me thrown into prison, right? Like, he's rejoicing what God has done in prayer and through hymns. He's replacing anxiety with joy in the Lord. And for me, I, I fight uh, back pain a lot, especially when I'm anxious or stressed. It's a really fun, healthy stress response. Um, but I remember a Wednesday night prayer night a few months ago where I walked in with my back really hurting. And I left, and my back felt totally normal. And while I, I 100% believe in the power of prayer, and like it could have been a miraculous healing at that time, but as far as I know, like my back had not been a subject of direct prayer. Instead, I think it was because that while I spent an hour singing hymns to God and reflecting on the gospel and spending time in prayer, it was really hard for me to remember all the anxiety that I was also fighting at the same time. And, and this idea that in times of anxiety to remember what the Lord has done for us isn't just from Paul. Christ preaches the same thing in Matthew 6. He says, if you need a reminder of why not to be anxious, look at the birds. If God clothes and feeds them daily, won't he take even better care of you? And this is something I think about a lot, like when it's in my hobbies and like things I like to do, like hiking and backpacking and camping and things like that. And, and, it's, it's, and it's also why I try to do some of my like runs around here without my headphones in, right? It's like that idea, like nature is healing or whatever they say, right? But, like, but seriously, like next, you can actually think about the birds, and next time you hear a bird, remember that the Lord is at hand, that he cares for you, and that if you put your faith in Christ, the Lord will provide not only in this life, but in the largest way possible through eternal life with him. The second thing Paul calls us into, so we got remembering, the second thing is in, is in prayer. He calls us into that in place of anxiety. It's a, in the text, it's another direct contrast to anxiety. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so what's he saying here? He's kind of telling us how to pray. And first he says, to pray to God, right? He says, like, let the request be made known to God. And this feels obvious, but if you really think about it, um, that's in direct contrast with what we do whenever we're anxious, what I do whenever I'm anxious. Um, I, I'm praying to myself, right? Like, what can I do? How can I fix it? How will this affect me? Instead, Paul's reminding us to pray to God. What can God do? How can God fix it? How will this affect God's story through me? And how do we pray to God? What's the text say? It says, with requests and with thanksgiving. And if you're like me, the requests are the easy part. I've got like a list of things. The thanksgiving part is tougher for me, especially in those times when I'm feeling down or anxious. But I think here we can look to the scripture and the ancient prayer book, which is the Psalms, and see how the psalmists pray. One of my personal favorites is, is Psalm 44, um, which isn't a psalm necessarily that is like this you know, a beautiful, thank you, God, you're so amazing, like, I, I'm praising you. It's, it's, it's one of my favorites because it often reflects how I feel because at the end it says, awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? And it's, it's a scathing kind of passage, and it's very human. It's a very human emotion that we often feel. 
But earlier in that same passage, the same psalmist is giving thanks for what God has done for their ancestors in delivering them out of Israel and redeeming them. And they're just upset that no deliverance seems to be coming for them right now. And this is, I think this is a beautiful model for how we can pray, especially in times of anxiety. It's a, it's a prayer that says, God, I know what you've done for me and for the world and sending your son. You've done the biggest thing you could ever do for me in giving eternal life. Thank you. But also, like, are you asleep right now? I, I, I need you. And we know from verse 7 from our text today that, that God will hear those requests. We get a promise in it where it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And this is as a result of prayer. You'll notice that that's not a message of, like, pray and your wildest dreams will come true. But it is a promise of the peace of God coming to you. And peace is another one of those things that also contrasts with anxiety. You, you're rarely going to walk up to someone and ask them how they're feeling and get back like, well, I'm extremely anxious, but I'm also just so at peace right now. <laughs> so Paul is re-emphasizing here the power of prayer, which results in peace, which combats anxiety. Paul then wraps up this letter with a final exhortation, and it's a list of what we should be thinking about. It says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And that's quite a list, and, and it's a daunting one, and it's one that if I go through and think about what I am thinking about, like I would not check a lot of those boxes. But in many ways, while we could almost have a whole other sermon just on that list, I think one way to read this text is to just look at this final list of, as a reminder of what we've already read. Because what is the gospel? The fact that God so loved the world and was so merciful that he looked upon us with all of our anxieties and all of our cares and said, here is something better in the form of his son. What is that? Well, it is, it's true. It's honorable. It's just. It's pure. It's lovely. It's commendable. It's excellent. And it is praiseworthy. And so as we wrap, let's look at the final verse we covered today. Paul, Paul says, What you have learned and received and heard and in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And this is the final call for us, to practice what we just talked through. To be a people who rejoice instead of being anxious. A people who pray in the midst of anxiety. And this is something that takes hard work. It takes practice. I told the story earlier of leaving a prayer night in my backfield. A portion of this sermon was not recorded. For a manuscript copy, please email us at info at sojournmontrose.org.